Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. It is great to be back with you. We live in a time with a lot of societal tension and reckoning about who we are. And I think that when that happens, it's natural for us to look at the past and to ask hard questions. Figures, people that seemed like heroes, be it the Pilgrims or George Washington, just start to look like more complex figures. A few months ago, I came across a beautiful picture of a mother and her young daughters admiring Mount Rushmore. Today, we have to wonder if the image of Mount Rushmore inspires goosebumps of pride or perhaps a very different kind of feeling. And as Jews, of course, we face this struggle in our own way. Sefer Breshit Genesis is a monument of sorts. It teaches us about our own people, and through it, we study the lives of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. The Ramban Nachmanides writes that one of the main points of Genesis is simply to learn from the example of the Avot and the Imahot, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, of their living with Amuna, with faith. And in that light, it's important for us to grapple with an important issue. What does it mean for us when we find that our forefathers sinned? And there are multiple such episodes in our Parsha like that that require examination. For one, the brothers Shimon and Levi wiped out the city of Shechem, even after the residents of that city made a brit, a covenant, with Yaakov and his sons. An additional episode we have here in Vayishlach is where Ruven engages in a sexual relationship with his, father, his father's concubine. So should we feel self-conscious about our past, as sometimes people do feel today in modern society? With regards to the, the sack of Shechem, Yaakov initially tells the sons that they have made him odious in the presence of those around him. And then later on, at the end of Breshit, Yaakov goes even further, telling the sons that their craft of violence is a stolen one, and that their anger is cursed. And so the actions of Shimon and Levi are, are troubling. I mean, how can the brothers just lift the sword against an entire town of people who are perhaps innocent? And here, really, we get to the heart of the issue, because... Shimon and Levi, these are people that the Torah respects. They're very much a part of us. They are fathers of the Shvatim, of the tribes. To this day, there's people in Israel who, of course, they call Levim, and that's a compliment. Are we proud of these people that just killed a whole town full of people? Let's take a deeper look at this episode, because as we grapple with it, I think we can come to a deeper understanding of our own history. The Torah says that when Dina went out amongst the daughters of the land, the son of Hamor, who was Shem, took her, lay with her, and violated her. Now, this Hebrew term that I've translated as violate is inui, which really is suggestive of oppression. In fact, in a, in a different use of the term, the Torah tells us that we must not oppress the convert. But if the Torah teaches us that Shem ben Hamor oppressed or violated Dina, so what exactly does that mean? And this is an issue which our commentary has grappled with, because on the one hand, Rashi suggests that lie with her refers to sexual relations in the normal way, 
and violate her refers to sexual relations in an abnormal manner. And according to Rashi, this was not an act of rape. However, what Shechem did was a degrading way to seduce and take advantage of Dina just in accordance with his great lust. Now, on the other hand, the Ramban, Nachmanides, argues with Rashi. And he insists that the term violate, Inui, actually means rape. Ramban proves this from a verse in Devarim, which refers to violation in the context of the beautiful captive of war. But at the end of the day, however you look at it, both according to Rashi and to the Ramban, Shechem's behavior towards Dina was an act of oppression, and it came in the form of sexual violation. And of course, all of the brothers were deeply aggrieved by this, and they sought to redress this injustice, which they called a nevala, a perversion in Israel. Now, what happens next is an amazing thing, and it's kind of the, it's kind of the classic story of a spoiled prince. Shechem comes with his father, Hamor, to speak to Yaakov and his sons. Now, by the way, parenthetically, these are actually fascinating names because a Hamor is a donkey and Shechem is a shoulder. And so both of these terms are suggestive of kind of carrying a brute strength of a really strong physicality that defined them. Well, in any case, Hamor comes and, and tells the brothers, he says... My son really, really wants this girl. Can't we all just marry one another and have free trade? Listen to what he says. Hamor spoke with them, saying, Shechem, my son, his soul desires your daughter. Give her to him as a wife, and we will marry together. Your daughters give to us, and our daughters will give unto you. The land will be before you. Settle and trade in it and acquire property. So this was his little speech, and the Torah says that the sons of Yaakov answered Hamor and Shechem with Mirma because Shechem had defiled their sister. Now, what does it mean to speak bimirma with mirma? Generally, mirma is translated as deceit. And on one level, that is what it seems to mean here. But at the same time, Rashi throws a more positive light on it, saying that they spoke with mirma, with chokhmah, with wisdom. And so Rashi is hinting to actually a positive intention that the brothers did have in the deceit that they are about to undertake. And the brothers go on to say, they say, "Ah, we'd love to do business with you. There's just one little problem. You guys aren't circumcised. If only you and your town could get a circumcision, we'd be all good to go. Now, even more astounding, Shechem and Hamor agree to this crazy idea. And they even get their townsmen to go along with it. I mean, it seems crazy. But when you think about it, though, a little bit more deeply, they actually did have a motivation. Because these people were saying to themselves, well, look, if we circumcise ourselves then we're going to have access to all this money, all this trade, all these women. And so what we're starting to see here is that the whole town is just kind of bowing to the fancy of this of this Shechem figure, this, this prince. And just as Shechem had to have Dina, even against her will or her well-being, the whole town also is going to just flip on a, on a dime to bow to his, his will, but also to get more, more money and more women. So... On the one hand, it does seem kind of wild that Shimon and Levi take their swords and wipe out the entire town while they're recovering from circumcision. But our rabbis really do try to grapple with this and try to understand how this may have been proper. The Rambam, uh, Maimonides, says that the people of the town actually were in violation of Noahide laws. 
of laws that were incumbent upon all people. The, the Ramban takes issue with Maimonides in that, and he takes issue with that comment, pointing out that there was really no formal process of a, of a beiti in a court to try this town to see if they were really guilty. And in fact, the Ramban goes on to say that our father Yaakov really felt that these may have been innocent people who might have been purely motivated for their circumcision. And if so, if they then clearly there is a sin here that Shimon and Levi have perpetrated by killing them out. And at the end of his life, Yaakov curses Shimon and Levi. He says, Shimon and Levi are comrades. Their weaponry is a stolen craft. Into their conspiracy may my soul not enter. With their congregation do not join, O oh my honor. In their rage they murdered, and in their will they hamstrung an ox. And so Yaakov late in his life is cursing Shimon and Levi for their murder, which must refer to the city of Shechem. The Torah also adds that in their will they hamstrung an ox. And Yaakov, I should say, Rashi points out that Yosef at times is referred to as an ox. Rashi demonstrates that Shimon and Levi, in fact, were the two brothers who ultimately were responsible for throwing Yosef into the pit, nearly murdering him, and so thus they they hamstrung an ox. An ox, Yosef, that is. And so violence really is a recurring theme in their lives. And yet, as much as Yaakov curses Shimon and Levi, he also does keep them within the Jewish people very much. He just says that they need to be spread out. I will spread them out within Yaakov. I will disperse them in Israel. And so Yaakov ultimately spreads them out to make sure that their, perhaps, uh, their violence is not too bad of an influence. But he keeps them around. And again, we, we get back to that question. Why is this? Maybe we should just toss them out of the Jewish people. I remember that when I was a kid, we used to dress up as pilgrims around Thanksgiving in my elementary school. We dressed up in those funny hats, and of course we thought the pilgrims were heroes. And, you know, more recently I've read certain books that both do praise the pilgrims, but also shed light on some of their shortcomings. And so this is just one of the things that goes on as we become more nuanced in our view of the past. And how do we respond to that? And I think part of the Torah is that we do look at the problems of the past. And there is a lot to learn, for instance, even from Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi did do a sin, and there's also a great deal to learn from them. I mean, let's face it, the people of Shechem are hardly tzaddikim. A person in their town, this prince, has just raped a a woman. All they can think about is, how do we get more money and more women? And so Judaism does question the fact that Shimon and Levi killed the town, but at the same time, that town did present a real danger to Bnei Israel, to the brothers. Shechem was prepared to take a woman at whim and do with her as they, ple- as, as they pleased. And as the Torah comments, the brothers did this act to the city that had defiled their sister. And so Shimon and Levi really found the sexual abuse to be intolerable, as they exclaimed to their father, Shall our sister be treated like a harlot? And in this sense, the brothers 
are leaning into a recurring theme of Genesis, which is sexual morality versus sexual immorality, because the Avot, the patriarchs, just operated in a society where a lot of people are violating the Jewish women or other women, for that matter. I mean, we find, you know, Yitzchak couldn't travel around without having to worry that other men would take his wife. And so what emerges is a larger picture. On the one hand, the sack of Shechem was problematic. It was a sin for which Shimon and Levi were rebuked. On the other hand, it doesn't put them out of the fold. And they were responding to a very terrible problem. They couldn't tolerate sexual abuse, even if the way they fought it was not exactly right. I think there's an additional factor that we have to consider here as well. We're living in 2020, in the modern Western world. It's very hard for us today to judge the patriarchs. The world that they lived in was so incredibly different from ours. You know, it's easy to read about what they did to Shem and say, hey, I've never taken a sword and killed out a whole town. But the truth is, is that we operate in a modern world. In the ancient world, there were far fewer barriers to committing these kinds of acts. And so, you know, it's easy for people to throw away the avot or the earlier generations when what they did doesn't comport with our understanding of how things ought to be. But here we've got a story where our tradition does take deep issue with the tribes. I'm not aware of any group of Jews that ever reads these verses and learns that we should just take the law into our own hands and kill people who are violators. So these these chapters have not inspired Jewish communities to violence. These are problems, uh, and there are problems with what Shimon and Levi did, and yet they're still part of our people. And perhaps that's a lesson in and of itself, because the patriarchs were human beings. They were not perfect. And they operated in a world that's very different than ours. So should we throw away the past when we find that people have sinned? Should we throw those people away? If we dispose of them, we risk losing valuable teachings that can guide us in our own lives. The Avot and the Imahot, the patriarchs and matriarchs were humans who strive to walk in the path of God. And that's really a big underlying foundation of this entire book of Bereshit. Our tradition emphatically records the sins of great people. We find a good example of this with with King David, with David. The prophet clearly writes that when David took Bathsheba, that it was a sin. And yet, we don't dispose of David. Far from it. And there's a, a modern trend in the world to kind of discard people when we feel that maybe we disagree with them. I mean, here in Portland, even this past summer, a statue of Abraham Lincoln, of all people, was was toppled. And you know, Lincoln was just so human and, and so great. And I was thinking about what an incredible figure he was as I was reading a great book about Lincoln this summer. And it was also interesting to read about points in Lincoln's life where his views were not, quote, pure by modern standards. In fact, uh, Lincoln grew up, and he really developed over the course of his life in his in his views, especially, for example, in his views about blacks. And I'm just thinking, you know, that's not a reason to topple Lincoln's memory. If anything, the fact that he grappled and grew is a reason to study his life and a reason to embrace him. 
I mean, can we only learn from people who were born with pure views? That would, that would seem to be a very dangerous proposition. And that's part of what challenges us about the Torah, because in the Torah, we do face stories that are difficult to grapple with. And I think that at the end of the day, our Torah, our tradition, very much wants us to grapple. We're meant to approach the Torah with humility, examining the complex lives of the Avot, the Shvatim, the patriarchs, and the tribes. Shimon and Levi and all of the patriarchs and matriarchs were real people with real struggles. And we have to have the humility to open ourselves up to learning from them even where they don't meet the picture of what we would expect or even want to see. And so the next time that you find a part of the Torah that you find challenging, remember, the Torah wants us to delve and to grapple. We can't discard the past, we, and we don't need to feel self-conscious about it either, because through it all, our Torah is great. It's inspired a great people, the Jewish people, to walk in the upright paths of Hashem, through the Torah, we've learned to cling to God in every time and in every place. And that's really the lesson of the whole entire Torah, even the parts that challenge us that challenge us in deeper ways. So that is the teaching of the Torah. It's a lesson that can never be discarded.